You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. What does Scripture say about our involvement in government? I think it's an interesting subject to talk about this, especially in light of the, the, what's going on in our nation today and some of the things that we're experiencing and some of the trials and even difficulties that we're experiencing as we try to understand what does it mean to be patriotic? Is there, is there, is there some sort of a sin or is there something wrong with being grateful, with being thankful, with being patriotic, with standing and saluting the flag, with understanding what is all that about and is God okay with that? Is Scripture uh, against that? And, and maybe is some of the extremism that has been in our lives potentially in the past, how does that affect us today when it comes to our relationship to the government and civil servants? How does God call us to live in the United States of America as Christians when it comes to our government? Well, let's look today at Romans chapter 13. I can't think of a better passage of Scripture, probably uh, the most clear when giving instructions about how we ought to act and how we ought to respond and be responsible as Americans. And so, uh, in honor of America and on, uh, of Independence Day, would you please join me in, in, in just studying the, the Scriptures with me this morning, beginning in verse 1 of Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities... For there is no authority from God, except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his, the civil servant's, approval. For he, the civil servant, is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He is the servant. He, the civil servant, is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For this For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. The Bible has told us, I'm going to go as far as to say the Bible has commanded us to honor those who just a moment ago we honored today. It's okay to show some respect to those who deserve respect. It's okay to honor those who deserve honor. So what does the Bible say about these things? Well, there's five attitudes, as I see it, that people have towards government. These are in your notes, and just jot these down. I'm going to make a quick comment about each of them. First of all, there are those who have withdrawn completely from government. They've just avoided it altogether. They have nothing to do with government at all levels. It's interesting because they don't vote. They don't call themselves Americans. They would tend to burn the flag. There's no citizenship at all. There's no patriotism at all. They just simply drop out and they somehow equate patriotism with the, the social gospel 
and it's somewhat of a, just a compromise and something they just completely withdraw and have nothing to do with government at all. Secondly, there are those who have just given up all hope. I mean, they've just kind of decided, I'm going to throw in the towel. There's no use at all in, 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 in being an American or honoring America. There's no use in government at all. They're just very negative. There's nothing we can do, they believe, to change society. We're just sort of hunkering down and, and, and waiting for the end to come. And there's no use in trying to make a difference. America has just crossed the point of no return. And that's kind of the mantra that they stand on. And that's their attitude about American government. Thirdly, there are those who see politics as just simply worldly. Politics is just so contaminated, and in many ways it is. It's contaminated with, with uh, just don't get contaminated. The more you get involved in politics, the, the dirtier it is. So they tend to look down on politicians. They're very negative towards anybody that's a politician. They are kind of, we're better than that. And so they just simply decide that politics and government is just worldly. Fourthly, there are those who are intimidated. And many in the church today are intimidated because they've been marginalized or def they feel disenfranchised from the government. And so there's a, there's a fear there uh, to even get involved. And so intimidation has caused them to just simply avoid politics and the government altogether. And then finally, there are those who've jumped in. They're all the way in, but there's a lot of misguided zeal. There's just force in their approach to government. It's almost as if government has become a tool of the church itself. And so they have, uh, they just kind of blown it up in the church. And it's almost in every single sermon. And it's the theme of, of, of every uh, church service. And the American flag is maybe raised higher than the Christian flag. And so there's just this misguided zeal when it comes to patriotism. Now, one thing we know for sure is we are to be involved in government. I don't think there's any question based on the passage we just read here in Romans chapter 13 that we come to the conclusion that God has commanded that. So if that's the truth, then the question is this, where do we get our perspective of government? We definitely don't get our perspective from government from Fox News or CNN or the politicians or the heathen. That's not where we get our perspective. We get our perspective from government where we get everything else, and that is straight from the Word of God. That's where we get our perspective, like everything else. So the big question is this. It's not can we be Christians and be involved in government. Rather, the big question is this, can we be Christians and not be involved? And I think that is, this morning, what I want us to be thinking about as we look at this subject. Romans chapter number 13, verse 1, again, tells us that government is ordained by God. Look at it in Romans 13, verse 1 on the screen. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, including government. All authority comes from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Paul here in the book of Romans affirms that governments are in place and laws are established by God. Human government is ordained by God. By the way, let me say this, that's good and bad leaders. Both. In fact, it's interesting, but bad rulers are ordained by God in Scripture. You say, Pastor, I can't believe you said that. Look with me, if you would, please, at the book of Daniel. Daniel is talking about the wicked rulers of Babylon, and here's what he said. 
Daniel said he changes God. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. Who does that? Who removes kings and who sets up kings? God Almighty does that. He takes kings down and he brings them up. And then he said to Nebuchadnezzar, who happened to be a pretty wicked king as well, in verse number 37 of the same chapter, he said, you, O king, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom. This statement was made to Nebuchadnezzar from Daniel. The God of heaven, Nebuchadnezzar, a wicked ruler, has been given the kingdom. He's been given power. He's been given might. He's been given glory. He's, he's in the spotlight. And that was ordained by God. God gave to Nebuchadnezzar his kingdom. In the Old Testament, what about Pharaoh, a wicked ruler? Pharaoh was ruling here in John chapter number, uh, or rather Romans chapter 9 verse 17. Look at this. Pharaoh was ordained by God. Follow along. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Pharaoh was ruling, but God was overruling. That's why one of my favorite songs is, he reigns above it all. God reigns above everything. Every ruler, good ruler or bad ruler, God reigns above it all. In the New Testament, when the Lord Jesus stood before Pilate, that Roman governor, here's what Pilate said to Jesus. Listen to these words. He, so Pilate says to him, you will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And listen to what Jesus said. Jesus answered him, I love this. Here was Jesus' response to Pilate, who said, don't you know I have authority? And Jesus says, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. God gave Pilate authority. These men were evil men, and yet God gave them authority. Why does God allow evil people to, in, in places of authority? Well, I heard a quote. Actually, I read this from John Calvin. He said, when God wants to judge a nation, he usually gives them a wicked ruler. I think we kind of get the government we deserve. And whatever kind of government is there, it's better than anarchy. Amen. I'm grateful today that we have the government, even though right now I'm not so pleased with what's happening. It's better than anarchy. And to resist the government, according to Scripture, look at verse 2 again, to resist government is to resist God. And so verse 2 says this, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, resist what God has appointed. Now, we're going to get more interesting in just a moment, but let's just first of all decide what are the two basic reasons for government. What are the, what's the purpose of government? Does God tell us what he's given us? He's ordained it. It's from God. Why did God give us government? What are the reasons? First of all, the reason for government is to restrain evil. And that's why today I'm very grateful for those who, the civil servants that we talked about a moment ago, the policemen, the sheriff who stand, those who restrain evil in our community. Look at verse 3 and 4 of Romans 13 again with that purpose in mind. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you receive his approval. For he is God's servant 
for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. He's the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. What Scripture is clearly teaching here is that government is here to restrain evil. Now, there's been a lot of conversation even recently about can you legislate morality? And the answer to that question is, well, it's, you can't. <laughs> you can't legislate morality. The truth of the matter is, is there's no law on earth that can make anybody good. There's no law on earth that can make anybody love. There's no law on earth that can make anybody kind. There's no law on earth that can make anybody honest. The laws, uh, the, the government cannot make us good. Who makes us good? Only God can make us good. You can't legislate morality. That's why we have to legislate immorality. You see, there is no law that can make someone honest. So we have to have laws to keep them from being dishonest, to keep them from stealing. So we should thank God for those who are in our government who restrain evil. And today I'm very grateful for the, for the men and women of our city. If I could just brag on the police and the sheriff, it doesn't get done very often. But I think this is a good time of the year to say thank you to those civil servants who serve in our community. I'm so grateful. Oftentimes, because I live on 3rd Street, if I'm outside and a policeman is driving down 3rd Street, I would say nine times out of ten, they stop and say, Pastor, how are you? When you've been in the community for 30 years and the policemen know where you are, there's often a conversation, and I can't say that there's ever a time that I wouldn't say to that policeman, thank you for serving our community. Thank you for keeping 3rd Street safe. It's a, I love living in this community. I love living in downtown Hot Springs, and I don't think I would love it if we didn't have police. In fact, I would not live on 3rd Street if there were no police. Let me just go on record and say that. I'm grateful today for the policemen that hang out on our properties and in the parking lot, and I'm thankful today for the Sheriff's Department who serve our community so well. I was reading this article, and I thought I'd, I'd read it to you, see if I still have it here somewhere in my... Oh, here it is. Yes. I thought this was great. A policeman is many things. He's a son, a brother, a father, an uncle, and sometimes even a grandfather. He is a protector in time of need and a comforter in time of sorrow. His job calls for him to be a, a diplomat, a psychologist, a lawyer, a friend, and an inspiration. He suffers from an overdose of publicity about brutality and dishonesty. He suffers far more from the notoriety produced by unfounded charges. Too often, acts of heroism go unnoticed, and the truth is buried under all the criticism. The fact is, less than 1% of 1% of policemen ever discredit their uniform. And I want to say this, that's probably a better average than my profession, clergymen. A police officer is an ordinary guy or girl who is called upon for extraordinary bravery for us. His job sometimes may seem routine, but the interruptions can be moments of stark terror. He's the man who faces a half-crazed gunman, who rescues a lost child, who challenges a mob, who risks his neck more than we realize. He deserves our respect and profound thanks. A policeman stands between the law abider and the lawbreaker. He is the prime reason your home hasn't been burned, your family abused, your business looted. Try to imagine what would happen if there were no policemen around. And then try to think of ways to make their job more rewarding. Show them the respect 
you really have. Offer them a smile and a kind word. See that they don't have to be magicians to raise their families on less than adequate salaries. We think policemen are great. We thank God for all the little boys who said they would be policemen and who kept their promise. We hope you feel the same way, and we hope you will show it so there will always be enough good policemen to go around. Amen. Could we just take a moment and thank those civil servants? Hallelujah. And I am not ashamed today to thank God for those who are serving in our community in that way. The Bible says to give them honor. Why? Here's why. They are ministers of God. That's very clear in Scripture. And these civil servants, as ministers of God, deserve our respect. The second reason for government is to encourage good. Look at Romans chapter 13 and verse number 3. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good. That's the government's responsibility, to encourage us to do the right thing. And you will receive his approval. Remember, government cannot make us good, but it can encourage us to do good. And the founders of the American Constitution were soaked in the Word of God. And here's what they wrote. To promote the general welfare and to provide the common defense. Notice it didn't say to provide the general welfare, but to promote the general welfare. That idea comes out of Scripture, straight out of the Word of God. No wonder so many of our founding fathers were soaked in the Bible. And we see the Bible in so many of our early documents in American history. And this is where much of that comes from. So according to Scripture, what are the Christian's duties concerning government? Well, I'm going to give you six real quick, and I'll make a few comments about each one. And my prayer this morning is that as we walk through this little passage in Romans and understand that much of what we celebrate as a country, much of what we're thankful for as a country is that God has given us a country with a government. Number one. We are to pay for our government. Look at what Scripture says. Again, Romans chapter 13 and verse number 6. For because of this, you pay taxes. Why do we pay taxes? Again, for the authorities are ministers of God. Maybe your Bible talks about or has the word tribute there. Tribute would be our income taxes. And then there's the word custom. That would be our sales tax. Listen, I don't like taxes. Can I get an amen? I don't like them. I would like it much less if we didn't have a government to pay taxes to, though. So I'm okay. I understand that the reason why I pay taxes is because we have a government. And so I always appreciate tax relief. And I think overtaxing is, is very, very dangerous. And oftentimes we see the wasteful spending of our government. Someone has well said that a government is on its last leg when half of the people get the idea they don't have to work because the other half will take care of them, and the other half get the idea it does no good to work because somebody else gets what they work for. And so I get that. But you cannot have government without taxes. In fact, a moment ago, when we honored our policemen and firemen, it is our taxes that pay for their salary. So what does that make them? It makes them our servants. They work for us. But we wouldn't have them if we didn't pay taxes. And so we are to pay taxes according to, to, to the Scriptures. And this is what the Christian's responsibility is. Number two, 
not only are, are we to pay for our government, but according to the Word of God, we are to pray for our government. Pray for them. And by the way, let me just say this. If you don't pray for your government, then you lose your right to complain about your government. I think it's very important that we pray for our leaders, whether they be national leaders. We ought to pray for the leaders of America. Pray for the leaders of our state. Pray for the leaders of our city. I think the greatest responsibility that any godly Christian has is to pray. And if we're not praying, then I don't know that we are really, we have the right at all to complain about anything. Listen, there are wicked leaders, and we should pray for them too. In fact, would you not agree with me that maybe we should pray for wicked leaders more than we pray for righteous ones? Look at what Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 1 says. It says very clearly here in Scripture, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Oh, we ought to pray for those in leadership, even if they are wicked rulers, because God can change that. So let's pray. Look at 1 Timothy, Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. First of all, I urge supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. It's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. It's a good thing to pray for those in high positions. You know, sometimes we hear a message like this, and as we preach the whole counsel of God, and as we think about the, the theme of the month of July is praying for our nation. That's the theme. That's what we're emphasizing during this month is how can we as a church pray for our nation? Begin by praying for the government. Pray for the leaders of our nation. Why? Because God told us to. And if God told us to pray for those in high positions, I think we should. God can change a ruler. God can remove a ruler. God can overrule a ruler. Why? Because the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Number three, we are to praise our government. We are to praise them. Look at Romans chapter 13 and verse number, number seven. The Bible says here to give, res, to give respect to whom respect is owed and honor to whom honor is owed. We ought to respect them and honor them. You know, I, I'm concerned and just very carefully and, and, and cautiously, and it's Listen, with these fans running, it's almost a monotone. You can't, I can't hear you, feel you, and maybe all you can do is hear me. So it's, it's more difficult to preach in this atmosphere than most atmospheres. So please know my heart as I carefully and cautiously and gently just say a word for patriotism. Because I want everyone here to know that, that I am a, a patriotic person. I'm grateful today for our country. I remember as a young teenager, I had to memorize something about the flag. In fact, I memorized it and I said it in a state convention and I remember getting first place with my little, Tony, you remember that? You were, you were I think you do remember me quoting that, that poem on the flag and then I, I went to Pocatello, Idaho with you and Sonia Chittam and we drove all the way there and I recited this recitation on the flag and I didn't get first place in, in nationals but I was grateful to get to go. I was a patriotic young believer, and still today, with much more balance, yes. But I feel as if what's happened 
is oftentimes some of the phrases that have been used in more modern colloquialisms, if you will, statements that we make. For instance, a Christian who is patriotic is often called a Christian nationalist and criticized for, for maybe putting too much of an emphasis on government when yet God has ordained government. And just because a Christian is patriotic doesn't mean he worships his country more than he worships God. Not at all. No more than God says he ordained marriage. But the fact that God ordained marriage like God ordained government doesn't mean I worship my wife. It just means I'm thankful for Caroline. I'm grateful that God gave me a wife. I don't She's not first place in my life. I don't worship her. I, I, I'm thankful for God's grace upon my life and giving me a wife. God ordained marriage and God ordained government. Patriotism does not mean that a Christian is, is, loves his nation more than— In fact, I think very few Christians would say they love their nation as much as they love God. But to be patriotic— I think it's a good thing. In fact, I think we should love America more than any other country on, uh, in the world. I, I love Hot Springs more than any other city in the world. I love this place. I love my family more than I love your family. Doesn't mean I don't love your family. I do love your family. But God's given me a family, and I love my family in a special way, in a unique way, like you love your family. And so today I'm grateful for America. And I'm a patriotic Christian, and I don't make apologies that I love this nation. And I think sometimes that, that, has, that, that has been what has been the pill that has been swallowed so often now. So we just avoid it all together. We are to be thankful for our government. Number four, we are to preach the Word of God to our nation. Preach the Word. That's what I'm doing this morning. But I love to preach the Word to our community. I love to preach the Word to our church. And when I preach this Word, I'm preaching to the city. We should not be silent about what the Word of God says. We are to praise our government when it does what's right, and we are to preach to our government when it does not do what's right. That's why we can't identify the Lord Jesus Christ with any political party. Jesus supersedes all of that. We don't identify the Christian faith with the Democratic Party. We don't uh, we don't uh, have the Christian faith in line with the Republican Party. That's not what we do. We should be civil, but we, should be silent. we shouldn't be silent because we need to preach the Word of God to both parties that they need to repent. And this is what Scripture, scripture teaches all throughout the Bible. Nathan preached to David. Elijah preached to Ahab. Eleazar preached to Jehoshaphat. Daniel preached to Nebuchadnezzar. Moses warned Pharaoh. John the Baptist preached to Herod. We should preach the Word of God to our nation. We must say to our government that what is morally wrong is not politically right. We shouldn't be silent about abortion. We shouldn't be silent about normalizing sexual perversion. We shouldn't be silent about sexual abuse. We shouldn't be silent about the removal of prayer in our schools. I'm grateful today for the group of pastors that have been pressing into Lake Hamilton for removing prayer from their school board meetings. And pastors by the dozen showed up to that school board meeting to just not to be crude and rude and ugly, but to be civil, but to say a word. And they're making a difference because they showed up at the school board meeting. That's a good thing. And I think sometimes we sit back and complain about our nation while 
decisions are being made that we are not actively involved in or learning what they're all about. We need to preach to our government. Number, number five, we need to participate in our government. Again, Mark 12, 17, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And to God, the things that are God. But for just a moment, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. What is our Caesar? Well, according to our Constitution, it's a government of the people, it's a government by the people, and it's a government for the people. And if that is true, then we should participate in our government. Again, Proverbs 29 and verse 2, when the godly are in authority, authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked are in power, they groan. God would not have ordained government and then told us to stay out of it. He would have done that. So we need to participate. It is bad citizenship not to vote. Everyone should vote. And that's, what, that's how we can make a difference, by participating, by voting. And then when we vote, obviously we, we live with the results of that. But we should participate. We should vote. How many examples are there in, in, in the history of our country of one vote making a difference? Even in a presidential election one year, it was one vote that put a president in office. And if we do not inform ourselves and vote, then I'm convinced, and this is the strongest statement I may make all serving long, but if we don't inform ourselves and vote, then I'm convinced we are disobedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. If we Christians do not participate in our government, then who does that leave to run it? we got to make a difference. We need to make a difference, and your vote makes a difference, and that's how we can participate. We as Christians are to participate, not on the basis of parties, not on the basis of persons, not on the basis of politics, but on the basis of the principles of the Word of God. That's what the Bible teaches. Number six, finally, we are to persuade our government. We are not to start a riot for Jesus. <laughs> I'm not for that. And we've seen quite a lot of rioting going on in the last few years. That's not what Christians do. We are not to force our views on anyone, and I'll tell you this, you're not going to out-argue anyone about your political views. Would you agree? I mean, it's just arguing is not going to get us anywhere, especially because folks are blinded. They do not see. They need Jesus, and that's what we're here to do is preach the gospel, be faithful to preach the gospel, and make sure that everyone knows Jesus. We need to persuade people to win souls for Jesus Christ. That's what this is all about. What Stacy experienced a few weeks ago and now baptism and following Jesus Christ, that's what this is all about. And I'm fearful that we've gotten away from winning souls to Jesus, from persuading people to trust Jesus, from preaching to people about the need to, to receive Jesus Christ and to know Him as their personal Savior. We need to persuade people and win souls. The most patriotic thing we could do is to pray for a revival in America, to pray for a heaven-sent revival. Oh, man, listen, I know, I know several pastor friends of mine that have encouraged me to put that at the top of my prayer list, that America would experience a revival much like she did about 50 years ago and four or five other times there's been somewhat of a great awakening since the early uh, founding years of our country. And then finally in the text, I want you to notice the restraints as I close on what the restraints that God puts on human government. Yes, he says to render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, 
but make no mistake about it, render to God the things that are God. Look at verse 1 again in Romans chapter 13. Quick, quick little review. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. The government cannot command anybody to do anything that is absolutely contrary to the revealed Word of God. What I mean by that is this, that submission is not always the same as obedience. What I mean is this, our ultimate loyalty belongs to God, and all human authority, all human authority is limited. The apostles continued to preach when they were commanded not to preach. The midwives spared the little babies when Herod said they should have been killed. Daniel prayed when the law said he was not to pray. All human authority is limited. As a pastor, my authority is limited. I'm an ordained minister of God. But I grew up in an atmosphere where the pastor was placed on such a high pedestal that it was almost as if you could not tell him anything. His word was the final word. And so there was almost, it was a very dangerous place to be in a, in a, in a pastor-led situation where there was no accountability. Listen, no pastor is above the law. And even I am under authority of the elders, and I'm under the authority of this church. Policemen are under authority. They, they, they're not a law unto themselves. They're under authority. Romans chapter 12, verse 17, remember, clearly says, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but to God the things that are God's. And I refuse to render unto Caesar the things that are God's. So there's a restraint on human government. You know, our hope is in what we sang about earlier and what we're going to sing about right now. Our hope is in the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. Our hope is not in human government. If that's somehow what you are leaving with any thought today that I'm saying any of our trust is in the government, that's not where our trust is. Our hope is not in human government. We need revival, and the only one that can bring revival is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. He is King. He is Lord. And He is who we worship today. In 2 Chronicles 7, 14, a great verse for Independence Day for all of us to remember, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin, and I'll heal, heal their land. I'm not ultimately, or it's not ultimately the influence of politics that we need. It's ultimately the influence of the power of God that we need. We need to put our faith in Jesus. He is our anchor. He is our firm foundation. And whether America survives another 10 years or not, there's another kingdom coming. And that kingdom has another king, and his name is Jesus. I want to just give a quick gospel invitation. I think every Sunday people ought to know this, that Jesus loves you. He died for you. He paid the penalty for your sins and mine on the cross. He shed his blood that your sins would be forgiven. And today Jesus invites you to accept him as your Savior, to come to the cross, to acknowledge that Jesus is the only way to eternal life. And to know Jesus Christ personally is to know that every sin is forgiven. 
To know Jesus Christ personally is to know that Christ lives in your heart and he gives you peace and he gives you power and he gives you purpose. And to know Jesus Christ is to know that when we die, we can spend an eternity forever with him in heaven. And if you don't know that this morning, then I invite you in just a moment to come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Step out from where you are and come to Christ. If you'd like someone to talk with you or pray with you or even after the service to discuss that, we'll be up front. I'll be here and I'll ask an elder or two to join me here at the altar. And as you come, we'd love to have an opportunity to pray with you. And if you have a desire to put your faith in Jesus, to, to have that firm foundation, that anchor that I'm preaching about this morning as we close this message, to put your faith in Christ so that your citizenship is ultimately in heaven. Oh, yes. I'm a citizen of America. I live here. I'm I'm grateful for America. But I'm a child of God. And I belong to a far greater country. It's called heaven. And I can't wait to go there. But until then, I'm going to preach and teach and be thankful for God's mercies upon my life and upon our nation. And so let's do that together, shall we? Let me pray and we'll stand and let's respond as God has led us to respond. Father, Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you that you won't fail. You've never failed and you're not about to start now. You're in control and you reign above it all. And I'm grateful today for what you've taught us here in Scripture that our government is better than anarchy. You've established it and you've ordained it. And God, we're grateful today. We're thankful to be American citizens. And I pray, Father, that you would help us, Lord, today to be thankful, Lord, for a a greater country and and a greater kingdom to come. And if anyone here today does not know you as their personal Savior, Father, I pray that they would come to know you today, that they would step out by faith and put their faith in Jesus and know that anchor that will hold them and secure them. And, Lord, take care of them until they spend an eternity with you in heaven. And I pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together, shall we? As God leads, let's respond.